Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music with a little faltering voice as you can tell this morning a little frog in the throat i think it's a function of the pollen i've had this before there's a little pollen floating around in the atmosphere had a nice point. dusting on my car this morning. Yeah, and it ain't even in full bloom yet, is it? Oh, no. It's just the uh, the second iteration of false spring. Yeah. <laughs> so I apologize for that and hope the audience will uh, indulge and bear with me today. Uh, folks, on Saturday, I could hardly talk. So I'm like 100% better today than I was Saturday. I believe that I should be in good shape tomorrow. So, uh, But we're here. You sound a little bit like an old-timey gangster. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, on the program today, Representative Dana McLean represents Lowndes and Monroe Counties, and Sandy Middleton, Executive Director of the Center for Violence Prevention. They're going to come in and talk about uh, HB 995 and 485. Both of these bills deal with rape and removing misogynistic language from the legislation. So we look forward to that. Uh, Chris from Oxford says, you sound like an impersonator Saturday. (laughs) I did. I I surely did. Uh, Attended the American Heart Association annual Heart Ball on uh, Saturday, and there was a great band playing. And, of course, I was trying to socialize and was having to talk a little loud over the band to do so. I'm sure that didn't help matters. Probably not. But we are here, and uh, Rhino's going to have to do most of the talking today, I reckon. And we got some sound to play for you as well in the program. But the big news in the state of Mississippi is uh, coming from the governor's office this morning, or actually yesterday, where Governor Tate Reeves said he would, in fact, sign off on postpartum Medicaid extension, not Medicaid expansion, but extension of the present two months of postpartum care to a full 12 months. Yeah, the 2 plus 10 situation, because right now... If you are an expecting mother on Medicaid, once you give birth, you have two months of coverage postpartum. This uh, proposal 
would extend that out to the full one year, twelve month term from the date of birth. Right. So you wouldn't just have the initial two months of coverage, which statistically is when the majority of postpartum incidents occur. You would have the full year to cover you in case something should happen. That's right. And so historically, the governor has opposed this measure, this extension. But yesterday, he said that he's willing to do so as part of our new pro-life agenda. He said more babies will be born because the U.S. Supreme Court upended abortion rights nationwide with, of course, the case that originated right here in Mississippi. Governor Reeves said, quote, I believe that to be a beautiful thing. I also believe that added stress will be felt by more Mississippi moms. We have to love them. We have to support them. Hmm. So, of course, the bill to extend postpartum coverage in the Senate, past the Senate, sitting in the House, has been assigned when I checked at Rhino, but no action at this point. It will be interesting to see where this goes because Speaker Gunn has made it clear he opposes this. And in general, members of the House, certainly the Republican caucus, they're going to typically align with the Speaker. 99 times out of 100. Yeah. Um, And so we'll see if there's any action on this. And I'm not really sure what prompted the governor to change his position. I don't know that we have any details. And just to be clear, we're not talking about full expansion of Medicaid, which, by the way, has been available to the states since the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010. It went into effect 2014. Uh, 39 states have expanded. And all expansion does is add a single coverage group to the four already covered, four groups. That single coverage group would be able-bodied adults whose household income is greater than 100% of the federal poverty level, but less than 138%, meaning they've got to have some income got to be working right can't just sit on the sidelines and say hey give me medicaid there is no such thing a lot of people don't realize that though right don't think that yeah medicaid is just free health care for people who don't work it's it's actually quite the opposite from an expansion perspective correct now one of the coverage groups is the disabled people and then there's a coverage group of of um a blind they don't necessarily have to have an income to qualify. And then there's the indigent elderly. They would be typically on Medicare, but their income is so low they would qualify for additional benefits to cover their health care under Medicaid. And then the others, children who live in a household that has a low level of income. And then pregnant women whose income is less than 194% of the federal poverty level, which is quite low. The federal poverty level was recently increased. I believe when I looked at that now, it went up about 1000 bucks for a person, for a one person in a household. 
So that was, uh, yeah, it's now 14,580, 100% of the federal poverty level. Four, it was up from 13590 last year. Exactly. So you can do the math. A postpartum situation, since it does cover uh, the household with less than 194% of the federal poverty level, a mother with one child would qualify if their income is below thirty, roughly $36,000 a year. Because a household of two, um, the federal poverty level is $19,720. So you multiply that by 1.94, I think that yields thirty six k or so. Doing it in my head. so. Uh, but that's a, a big, uh, kind of a shock, honestly, Rhino, that the governor would make a change like that. So at this point, he is more aligned with the Senate. Don't know what's going to happen in the House. All we know is what Speaker Gunn has said in the past. He's made it clear his position is is not to increase postpartum coverage to the full 12 months. The other thing we should point out is that since the American Rescue Plan was passed, uh, the Biden, the first big piece of Biden legislation in 21, States could simply amend their Medicaid program to extend postpartum coverage. That's a fairly simple process relative to what was required to extend postpartum coverage prior to the American Rescue Plan. That required what's called a waiver, meaning uh, that you wanted to do something in your your Medicaid program as a state that did not fit in the constraints of federal guidelines. You would have to request a waiver from the federal government. Now, that's quite a drawn-out legal process. It takes a while. It may get turned down. Whereas this is simply saying, hey, we're amending our program to, to extend postpartum coverage by 10 months. That all went into effect, became available in uh, March of 2021. Now, something else to keep in mind is since since March of 2020, when the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act was signed into law by President Donald Trump, it included uh, something called a continuous enrollment provision, which simply means that anyone that qualifies and is on Medicaid cannot be removed from the rolls as long as the public health emergency is in effect, which is now scheduled to end at the end of next month. We're, we're 32 days away, 33 days away from that. And at that point, states are compelled to begin removing those who no longer qualify for the benefits. Wow, that's going to be a crazy thing. we got more to talk about here. It is a short show uh, today, of course, two hours. Apologize for the voice. Thank you so much for tuning in and bearing with me. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
back in the Element Well Studios. I thought I was listening to someone else, says Dan in Hattiesburg. Sorry about that, Dan. <laughs> Cherry and Pontotoc says, hate to tell you this, but you sound like Joe Biden. Ouch. That hurt, Jerry. <laughs> that just means you're going to have to throw in a couple catchphrases, <laughs> like malarkey and corn pop. <laughs> he was asked, you probably saw this, about um, whether or not he thought his age was a problem in running for re-election. He said, just watch me. You see that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bo in Indianola, Gerard, you have a real radio voice now dedicated is what I call it. Well, I'll be fine. And by the way, I feel fine. I don't I don't feel bad. It's just uh, it's the pipes. And I've had this before when the pollen comes out. It's not every year, but I've, I've had it before. And I got to tell you, I couldn't say a word Saturday hardly, uh, especially after talking over the band. Hardball was great, though. Raised a bunch of money. Which is what it's all about. A lot of fun. Um, so bear with me. I'll be fine. Uh, let's see. Ben says from Madison, it was a bit surprised to see the governor change his mind. Lots of pressure now on the House. It will be very interesting to see if they call it up this session. Well, it's in committee right now, Ben. It's been referred to committee for, I think, a week or so, if I'm At not least. mistaken. Yeah. The 23rd is the day that sticks in my head, so a little less than a week. Mo says, why did the governor change his position? Easy. It will be a political weapon against him for Brandon Presley if it doesn't pass. Well, here's what I think is going to happen. I think Brandon Presley will definitely, he will, um, he'll pounce on this, right? But... I also think that now what Mr. Presley will do, and I'm totally speculating here, totally speculating. It's what we do here. He will now call for, well, okay, Governor, you've sort of partially met the goal with respect to health care in Mississippi of ensuring more people have some form of coverage. What about full Medicaid expansion, which would allow some, it is estimated, 125,000 to 150,000 Mississippians who do not have any form of coverage to be covered as one of those coverage groups that we talked about, able-bodied adults whose income is is below 138% of the federal poverty level, but above 100%. And I think that's what's going to happen there. What do you think, Rhino? You think Presley's going to pounce on that? Well, I mean, being completely cynical, it feels like this is a response from the governor in light of Brandon Presley making health care in the Magnolia State a major part of his campaign. I mean, look at his reaction to the, the state of the state. He filmed it in a closed wing of a hospital. He's obviously making that a, a big platform plank for his campaign for governor. And, again, being cynical, this is the the least controversial step that the governor could take. Yeah, I because agree. Because 
remember, this is not the first time that the governor's mansion and the Capitol have butted heads in one way or another. That's right. There have been... There's been consternation between the lieutenant governor and the governor. There's been consternation between the Speaker of the House and the governor. There's been consternation between lieutenant governor and Speaker of the House. So there's, there's been a lack of agreement in multiple different directions on this. But with the governor taking the first step in expanding postpartum, that kind of gives him a leg up compared to the senator of the House. The Senate's already passed it, so the ball's out of their court. Now the ball's in the court for the House. If Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House, stands firm with his, no, we're not expanding, we're not extending, then it allows the governor one of two choices. Either you throw a giant alley-oop to Brandon Presley and let him try to save the day, or the governor gets to play the hero. Well, the legislature couldn't get anything done. I guess I'll have to use my power. Yeah, and in fact, uh, Brandon Presley just Thursday said Tate Reeves doesn't have the guts to push postpartum care for mothers. You would think, quote, his majesty would be able to persuade the legislature to do the right thing. Unlike Tate Reeves, I don't think I know more than doctors. So, of course, the rhetoric has to come out. We have to get personal about it. Honestly, as a voter, I don't care about all these pejoratives and insults. Can't we just focus on the policy? Doesn't seem like that's the case. And we're just getting started. We're not even in a general yet election. We're just approaching the primary very interesting, no doubt about it, and I, I I can't explain it, but I accept the governor's decision and his explanation, his justification. I thought made sense. This is not terribly expensive to the state of Mississippi. Honestly, the majority of this is covered by the federal government. And like we said, every mother that are expectant mother, one of the coverage groups that qualified for Medicaid coverage since uh, 2020, March of 2020, they have continually been enrolled because the law said you can't disenroll anybody during the public health emergency. And by the way, states, in exchange for that, Here's another 6.2% federal match from the federal government. So though our roles swelled and we were unable to disenroll anybody once they're on, we got a big chunk of more money from the federal government. All states did. That's what changed here. It's going to be interesting, though, to see uh, where this happens. Which, speaking of the public health emergency, I think, I could be wrong, but I think we might need to pay attention to the Supreme Court and their decision tomorrow yeah. on the student loan forgiveness from the Biden administration, because if the Supreme Court strikes that down, will Biden extend the public health emergency because that gives him more leverage in forgiving student loans? And it feels like the Democrats are putting a lot of weight on that as a 
plank for the next election. Man, it's a big-time deal, and you posted the uh, video with the president and Bernie Sanders in the in the Oval Office, right? Oh, yeah, with the, a uh, the failed Saturday Night Live skit. If you haven't <laughs> seen that, I'll just play the audio for you here, because it's definitely worth listening to. This is in the Oval Office, or at least in the White House, and it's President Biden and his buddy, Bernie Sanders, trying to defend their student loan forgiveness plan. Right now, over 40 million Americans eligible for debt relief are being denied that immediate relief today. Why? Because Republican officials and special interests hit us with lawsuits to block it. Folks, I know you're frustrated. I am as well. And I am too. The millions of working and middle-class Americans who are under the burden of crushing loan debt, student debt relief would be life-changing. And guess what? Because of these Republican officials, not even one of the over 80,000 people from Delaware, where I know you're from, Joe, who applied for student debt relief or were eligible for automatic loan forgiveness, have been able to get a dime of that relief. The fact is that in Vermont, Bernie, it's over 50,000 borrowers. 50,000 borrowers. And what about bigger states? How about the state of Texas and the state of Missouri? Well, Joe, it'd be over 2 million and close to 500,000 borrowers, respectively. The list goes on. In state after state, no matter what these Republican officials say, we know student debt relief will make a real difference for people. We're going to get it done. It's good policy. The law's on our side, and we're doing the right thing. We're going to get it done. And I didn't hear any of these Republican officials complaining when the government gave huge tax breaks the big corporations. But here they are, stopping relief for working families. Now we're fighting like hell to get this done. We're in court next month, so keep the faith and spread the faith. Well, Joe. <laughs> That's so good. Well, Joe. Oh, my gosh. We are taking a break right here on Middays with a faltering voice today. Thank you so much for... Hanging in there with me, coming right back. Mississippi. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. To midday, welcome back to midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios. Yes, folks, it is me. I'm just a little bit. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not under the weather. It's just my voice is faltering a bit. Um, it started uh, late Friday, working out in the yard around the pollen, and it carried me into Saturday. I couldn't hardly say anything Saturday, so it was a lot better. And I, I'll be fine. No, I, I don't have any other symptoms. I'm good. I'm good to go. Um, somebody said that 
Yeah, William in Greenville said, you sound close to Jack Crystal. Well, I would consider that an incredible compliment. Um, I don't know if that's the case. He had a fantastic voice, but more importantly, what a great delivery he had. Oh, yeah. Athletics, man. Could paint a picture with words in a way few have been able to do. I think he's in, he's not in a league of his own. There are others that have been as good, but there are very few and far between. I would say the only person that comes to mind that did as good a job of painting a picture with words was Vin Scully. You, You got Jack Crystal and Vin Scully on Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasting, and I don't think there are many others you could put up there with them. I totally agree. I think I've shared before that when I was a youngster working in California back in the early 80s, and Vin, of course, was doing the Dodgers, is what he's known for. And he didn't have TV like he did today, but I was working literally in a double-wide in the middle of the de- desert that had a giant IBM mainframe in it. And I was writing code for the Department of Energy was the customer. This My, is, how IT has changed. Yeah. And it was one of the big CRTs, as we call them, cathode ray tube dumb terminals that weighed about 60 pounds. You know, the big old deep tubes. Oh, yeah. And Heavy and it, for heavy's sake. Right, exactly. And this double wide to accommodate the mainframe and those of us writing code, literally it felt like, Rhino, the room we were in was about as big as this studio, which is, what, 25 by 15 or so, I would guess. We had a dozen people in there. I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder. And, And we had to stagger the shifts so as not to be compiling programs and testing during the production day. And my shift was 4 p.m. to 2 a.m., 10-hour mandatory shifts. But the night operator of the mainframe loved the Dodgers. And this was back when it was Fernando Valenzuela and Steve Garvey and Ron Say and a fantastic team. And it was Vin Scully. And um, the double wide had speakers in the ceiling, PA. And he would crank up his transistor radio to Vin Scully and pull a mic down to it, PA mic, (laughs) so I could hear Vin. And you're right, unbelievable at describing a baseball game. Gosh, he was so good. So good. So right about that, Rhino. Had a couple people chime in on the ceasefire text line to nominate Keith Jackson. I agree. Another excellent sports broadcaster. Uh, let me tell you about Keith Jackson. Whoa, Nelly. <laughs> Fumble. <laughs> uh, when he used to do the um, college football with Frank Broyles, what former AD, right, at Arkansas, I think. That sounds right. Let me double check. Uh, he was either coach or AD. Maybe he was coach and then became AD. But they were such a great pair together, weren't they? The blood is boiling in Birmingham, he would say. I'm sorry, my voice doesn't do it justice for sure today. Yeah, Coach and AD. Okay, yeah. They were great together. They loved Herschel Walker, who was a pretty good guy to watch and call for. All right, Thomas in Greenwood says, 
So I guess we need to look at Brandon's platforms since Tate turned his back on conservatism and now supports liberal welfare increases. I think it will be extended, says Thomas. I think he's talking about the uh, public health emergency for the extension. Oh, I see. I see. My bad, Thomas. I, you're right, Rhino. Uh, I don't think it will, Thomas. I really don't. I think I don't. Um, he would have to do it pretty dang quick. We're running out of time. And I, I get what you're saying, uh, and I agree with you, Rhino, that the Supreme Court depends on what decision they come out with. I've also, I think, stated on this program that I'm not sure those with student loans will ever have to repay them. I just think they keep finding ways to change up the game so that they don't have to pay. But what the Supreme Court, the case they're hearing was Joe's proposal to just wipe out twenty thousand bucks, up to twenty thousand bucks of debt. Yeah, ten thousand for everybody, and an extra ten thousand dollars of student loan forgiveness if you received any Pell grants. Yeah, I believe, Pell grant. Cut off Pell grant. Yep. Hmm. So we'll see where that goes. Um, and we should also point out that you, we had a question earlier uh, that scrolled by that you asked about. Uh, Rhino, with respect to postpartum. Yeah, on the ceasefire text line from JB, with this extension, talking about the postpartum Medicaid extension, cover all medical conditions, or is this just related to pregnancy? Yeah, it's all. It's just Medicaid coverage is all it is. Uh, The same as uh, when an expectant mother enrolls in Medicaid. It just doesn't limit them to caring for, you know, their prenatal care, I guess I should say, related to their pregnancy. They're just one of the covered groups. Correct. During uh, the time they are on Medicaid. But I think the governor here is saying, and not trying to speak for him, just opining that, hey, if, if we do expect, because of the Dobbs case, that more babies will be born as opposed to aborted then we got to take care of them. What we should be focused on, in my view, and I know the governor is, by the way, I've spoken to him about this, is that Mississippi's Mississippi ranks top uh, of the states where babies are born to Medicaid, 60%. 60% of our babies born in the state are born to a mother who is on Medicaid, and of course, that means they have an incredibly low income. That's what we ought to be focused on. And again, I'm not saying the governor's not. He is. But that doesn't seem to come up that much in the legislature, you know what I'm saying, as, a, as an item to be addressed. Why do we have so many babies born to Medicaid? It's 40% nationwide. 40% is too many. Way too many. So there definitely is a correlation between pregnancy and childbirth and income. The lower the income, seems like the more apt are the mothers to have, or the person, I should say, to have a baby, people, whatever the case may be. Why is that? Why is it that the more educated folks, the higher higher income folks, which also aligns, corresponds, why do they tend to have fewer babies? 
not have babies. But it's a problem in that you have someone with a low income, gets pregnant, has a baby, and I submit that baby's born into a household where it's it's a more difficult environment. And then you end up with the child growing up, high, more probably involved in no good, not as productive. That's, that's just fact. That's just fact. We're not being critical here. And any politician that brings this up, they get their head chopped off, right? It's just a fact. Yeah, it's kind of hard to fudge those statistics. They're they're pretty clear-cut, black and white. For a long time. Oh, yeah. Nothing new. i got to pivot a bit here and uh, talk about something we covered on Friday that I need to uh, get out there. First, I'm going to – I'll let you do it, Rhino. Read what Ben from Madison said, if you see that. The most recent one? Yeah. Says, just wanted to say again how solid of an interview with Senator McDaniel was on Friday. Incredibly entertaining if you're a policy junkie like me. I was, um, I, I walked away pleased with the interview from the perspective of informing the audience as opposed to really getting lost into, into the red meat rhetoric. I, I'd like to just say that I thought Senator McDaniel did good in that. He did address the questions, and more importantly, uh, Ben, I hope you saw this to be the case, is that Senator McDaniel did stop, offered succinct responses, and then concluded his response to a question sufficient to allow us to move on to another topic. I think that's important when you've got a candidate in particular for uh, a short period of time to get as much material out there as you can. Coming right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays. Uh, Darren and Jackson says, Gerard, you sound like my grandfather used to sound when he would give us a stern lecture for picking the strawberries too soon. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Chase from Columbus said, Keith Jackson calling it the granddaddy of them all made the Rose Bowl. I agree. Maybe before your voice clears, you will have a Wolfman Jack sound, says Andy and Jackson. James in Hattiesburg, Ron Franklin from Ole Miss was great. He was calling football, no doubt. Karen and Ripley, I am very proud of our governor for standing up and saying we need to take care of these mothers, gentlemen, that are against this. It's only for 12 months. They need this. Hmm. Listen to Senator Chris McDaniel the other day on the program, says Jeff in Forest County. He certainly was an innovator, one of the first in 2014 of this new crop of election deniers, sowing doubt in our institution. The latest is Scary Lake. 
Cary Lake. That's ridiculous, Jeff. Honestly. It's par for the course for Jeff, though. Yeah. I mean, he lives in his own little world. Maybe it's because we pay for our kids, low-income mothers getting theirs for free. Talking about why it is that so many of our babies, 60% of births in Mississippi, funded by Medicaid. So on Friday, I did uh, mention the names of some in the House that were reported as having concerns about elimination of the income tax. And we reported that it looks like no such bill is going to be considered this year. And so I got some calls after the show about that. Some folks heard it from the House, their names in particular. I'm happy to say one of those, Representative Becky Curry from Lincoln County, will be on the program tomorrow. And you recall, Rhino, I extended an invitation. I didn't want to presuppose uh, their concerns, but I did mention some that I thought were concerns that were likely. And so Representative Curry heard me talking about that and immediately texted me while we were sitting here on the air and said, I'll come on and talk about it. So she'll be on tomorrow, and my voice will be better then. Um, And then also Representative Jansen Owen from the Hattiesburg area, he expressed concerns, and he's coming on the program later on this week, I believe is what we heard this morning, right? Yeah. In our schedule. And what uh, Representative Owen said was that there's no bill and that we need time to read a bill and that dropping a bill just in front of the deadline and saying, here, vote, he felt like was was imprudent. Fair enough. I, and that's not one of the issues, by the way, I brought up. Didn't think about that. What I did bring up was was concerns about being able to pay our bills if we eliminated the income tax. And Representative Curry said we're spending too much at the state level, and she wanted to talk about that. Also, Representative Kevin Felsher contacted me and also said, look, I had some questions that I feel like have been answered satisfactorily. One of those was, are there triggers in the bill that would protect against losing the income in order to cover our expenses before we just strip away income tax revenue? And also, is the bill only going to deal with elimination of the income tax, phasing it out? Or is there going to be other provisions unrelated to that embedded? Fair questions, no doubt. So he told me that he was satisfied with the answers to those questions and that he's on board, as he was last year. He wanted me to know that, and I I was aware of that. He also said that there are constituents who have issues with elimination, full elimination. They'd rather see, for example, elimination of the grocery sales tax in lieu of income tax elimination. Which we've seen that argument come up several times, but it all comes back down to what is the more conservative taxation model? 
taxing the money you make for the time you spent working or taxing consumption. And 99 times out of 100, if you ask a conservative what is the conservative taxation model, if you can get past the whole taxation is theft when you get over to the far right, that it's consumption because everybody consumes, not everybody works. Right. And taxing income is considered a disincentive to innovation, production, value creation, contribution to society as well. Disincentives, growth. That's absolutely true. But the left, not ever happy with that. They're never met a tax they didn't like, it seems. And, of course, it's unbelievable some of the things that old Robert Reich and Joe Biden have been saying the last few days about corporations. Coming right back. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi, hour two of the program. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, Representative Dana McLean. She represents District 39. That includes Lowndes and Monroe Counties. And also Sandy Middleton, Executive Director of the Center for Violence Prevention. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for coming in on Middays. Thank you. Glad Thanks to be for here. having us. Apologize for the voice today. You have to bear with me. But we wanted to have you guys come in and talk to us about HB 995 and HB 485. Both of these bills deal with rape and uh, removing some language from the legislation. Is that correct? Who wants to go? That's correct. Uh, Dan, you want to go first? Talk about Sure. Um, HB 995, I just call it my rape bill. Um, it's the, the second year we've dropped this bill. And basically what it does, it, it redefines the definition of rape, which currently on the books is to forcibly ravish a female of previously chaste character. Uh, sounds like something from the 1800s, um, but it's 2023, and we need to make sure that that we make the definition um, in line with our sexual assault and sexual battery statutes. Um, also, the bill removes the spousal defense, the mar- marital defense for rape. Hmm. Is this uh, are these standards maintained at the state level or the federal level, or is there some combination? Well, th- these are these are state statutes. Okay. okay. There are federal regulations that govern the rape kits and the provision of the of the forensic exams. And uh, part of what we're talking about here is in gathering the stats for the rapes that were uh, that actually went to court in nineteen two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty and twenty one. There were only twenty in the entire state of Mississippi that made it. To court, so you know, and then when you look at the sexual assaults, there were 481. So you know, we we are 
we are prosecuting some of the sexual assault, sex battery crimes, but the rapes are not making it there. And, you know, primarily it's because of the antiquated statute. DAs just can't use that statute. And, you know, one of the things we always talk about is, I mean, we're not even protecting our men and boys with that with that statute. Mm. So it, it's terribly antiquated and needs to be fixed now. And so can you share what the nuances are? What's being changed exactly here? With with the rape bill, it actually just removes that archaic language and replaces it with the language that is included in the sexual assault, sexual battery. Okay. And and in the in the 485 bill that that is the bill that sets a timeline uh, to guide medical personnel and law enforcement after the exam. It also requires the kits to be tested within 45 days. Uh, it recognizes the Mississippi Forensic Laboratory or the Crime Lab, as we call it, as a standard bearing agency for the testing and the procedures. Um, we're we're real. Excited. I mean, the the crime lab is is it's a wonderful place. The state of Mississippi's invested a lot of money in it. Right. Um, they know what needs to be done on this issue, but they just need the they need the funding and the personnel to be able to do it. Uh, and so we we certainly support them in in having that. But both of these bills also recognize and validate victim rights because you know what we see so many times in dealing with victims is. They they want justice. I mean, you know, if there's one thing victims crave, it's justice. And and I think that, you know, our state has a real appetite for justice, but sometimes we only look at half of it. We look at the criminal side, but we don't consider the victim side. And mm-hmm. so many times in order to, to get in front of court, to get in front of a judge, we have to have the cooperation of the victim. So if we don't if we don't give the victim the same you know, respect that a lot of times we give the criminal, then we lose the victim in the process. And, and so that's what we see happen time after time is victims don't, they don't understand the process. They're not told if, if the kit's been done. They don't know who has the kit, if it's been processed. They don't even know who their rapist is if, if the kit's not not processed. And so, you know, this can really change our criminal justice system if if we can begin to test all of these kits. It it can make a huge difference uh, for society as a whole. Yeah. So are we changing the kits in any way? Does this bill address that? Well, the kits have have just been changed. They hadn't been changed in 15 years. And they were just updated by a multidisciplinary team of, you know, somebody from the crime lab. And we talked about that when I was in here before. We had a a multidisciplinary team to look at it and and look at the national standards and uh, change the language to update it to, to where forensics are today. So that's already been done. But we just there's just no process around the kits, okay. and and that that's what um, that's what 485 does. And yeah, you know, I'm just thankful to Senator Wiggins. He brought this bill out of committee on Thursday, and we are waiting on Senator Fillingame to to do the same with 995. What is the punishment for rape in the state of Mississippi? You know, I, I don't have the years in front of me. Uh, I, I think it's like either 20 or 25 years. I, I think so. I, I'd have to go back and look at that, but it's it's substantial. Yeah, I mean, it should, it should be. be. Yeah. Right. Um, is this a pervasive problem in our state? It's not something you hear a lot about, and because I would say 
the victims themselves don't want to become public figures that right. they've been through this well like for example with us you know we run the bridge forensic clinic and we have mous with most of the hospitals in in the metro area which means that when a, a rape or sexual assault presents we send our sayings to do the kit to do the exam okay and right before i walked in i checked and in in 2022 we did 43 kits on adults and 23 on kids so that's 66 kits that you know we know were rape yeah. or sexual assault victims wow. and and you know then when you look at the fact that in the last three years we've only prosecuted 20 and this is just here in the metro these 66 kids were just here in the metro so we know that the the numbers of rapes are considerable and i think especially for men and boys it's you know it's a horrific it's, it's just a terrible crime that can change people's lives yeah permanently yeah, Often. and and you know we can talk about the Eliza Fletcher catch, uh, case too. That you know if the kit had been done on her offender, he would likely be have been in jail. So you know these these rapists are also typically other criminals. They they you know they they commit other crimes that um, to society and people as well. Okay, so nine ninety five which uh, really just changes the language around rape itself, right? right. Uh, looking at that, transmitted, um, referred to, I should say, Judd B. in the Senate on Valentine's Day, 214. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's the status? Well, uh, last year we passed it overwhelmingly in the House. I think we had one no vote, uh, went to the Senate, and, and it, it died in committee. Uh, this year it passed 100% in the House, and now it's in the Senate, and currently it's in Judd B. So we are urging uh, Senator Gang to please bring it out. Uh, we're also urging listeners to call their senators, uh, if they so choose to, to encourage uh, this bill to come out. It's important for victims, uh, and not just women. As you know, we've changed uh, the definition uh, from female to person. Uh, we also need to remove the spousal defense most states do no no longer have a marital defense to rape Hmm. Um, we have a lot of domestic violence and uh, that's just one tool that uh, you know someone could use against a victim what's the objection in the senate well, and you know that's a good question because we're um, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman had told some of the media that he supports both bills, so we're assuming and leaning forward for him to to help us with that. Um, so you know that that's a good question. It really shouldn't be this difficult. I mean, this I mean is it a, failed last year, so somebody's objecting in the committee. Right. Right. This is yeah. And when you look at the fact that both of these bills have passed unanimously in the House um, with the leadership of the Speaker and um, Representative Angel Cockerham and, right. and Dana, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to understand what the problem is. Yeah. You, you have any idea there, Representative McLean, what the objection is? Have you uh, spoken to Senator Fillingane, for example? Uh, well, I have, and I believe he said he was l- going to look at it. Okay. Uh, from what I understood, last year there was a problem with removing the spousal defense. Okay. That was the problem last year. Okay. Don't know if that's the problem this year again, but uh goes without saying that that's something that really has to be I'm removed. just curious because, you know, when these things sit around a committee for a couple of weeks. It, Something's up. Yeah. Yeah. Something's going on. Yeah. Appreciate you guys coming on and explaining this uh, to us. It's um, Thank you. something I think we need to take action on, seems to me like, especially when I hear 30 percent 
right? Of the total kits that were processed, 30% um, went on to be convicted. Is that right? Well, I mean, we don't even know that for sure, but it's it's a very small number for sure. Only uh, nationally, only twenty five out of a thousand yeah. perpetrators are, are end up in prison. That ain't right. No, it's not. Appreciate you, ladies, coming in. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks coming for right back us. from with more Shame. on midday. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do Back in the Element Wealth Studios, middays, go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market all confused today. By the way, Rhino, the, the old kangaroo hopping about, can't figure it out. It's a confused kangaroo. Yeah, and... Um, there's nothing positive going on. In fact, more negative coming out of the uh, economic front. And that's got investors all concerned. In fact, um, Friday, of course, the personal consumption expenditures data was released. And it revealed that inflation is still rearing its ugly head. It has not yet begun to retreat with any significance. And that essentially tells the markets that the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates, and they don't like that. It's not good. So, again, everything that we get out of Biden and the tax-loving Democrats is always, well, we can't have this, we can't have that, we can't have this, we can't have that, because corporations don't pay their fair share. We just give them tax breaks, is what they say. Like student loans. We can give tax breaks to big corporations, but we can't forgive student loans. That's like saying that grass is green because the sky is blue. They're totally unrelated. They don't connect whatsoever. Of course... Democrats generally believe that all money originates and emanates from the government. And when they allow, they being the government, allow corporations to retain their profit, well, it's just because of their benevolence, their altruism. We let you keep some of that money you made. And Every program they dream up, that's what they say. Well, if we just make the rich pay their fair share and raise corporate taxes, we could expand the size and scope of government. More programs. 
because they never met a program they didn't like. And it's such a false comparison, such a false comparison. So Robert Reich, geez, he tweeted a couple of days ago, I think Friday. I'd have to send it to you, but I'm going to describe it. Starts out at the top of the tweet with the words, trickle-down economics. And then subsequent lines in the tweet below that first line that says trickle-down economics is the same three words except a letter is chopped off. So if you can just imagine trickle-down economics in the first line and then looking down the lines of the tweet, you see the letters chopped off so that all the way at the bottom, the last line just says trick. Oh, man. Oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) He used a meme that's over a decade old. Right, exactly. Actually, longer than that. That was something people were doing on MySpace back in the day. I think that's right. He's real up to the times. Hmm. So it's always the fault of those who produce for society. The most successful, it's their fault. They don't pay their fair share. we got to confiscate more of their assets to pay for all these programs. What a ruse all that is. Meanwhile, Elon Omar in Minnesota says, Minnesota's passed or it's on its way to passing. You know her. She's a representative in Minnesota. Universal school meals. Mandatory paid sick leave. Major funding for child care. You got to love this one. More identity politics. Banning hair discrimination. Vote restoration for 50,000 people and driver's licenses for all. She says, this is how you use a progressive majority. (laughs) Do a whole lot of nothing. It's exactly right. It's about par for the course for a progressive majority. That's what she says. So, the race lady, Joy Reid, oh man, she had to go on a bit of a tirade in attacking Governor Ron DeSantis, who appears to be poised to throw his hat in the ring. Listen. Today, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis crossed state lines to tout his anti-woke agenda at a pro-law enforcement rally in the New York suburbs of Staten Island. It's his first stop on a three-state tour of blue cities. Why is crime a big issue in New York or Chicago or all these other places? The reason why you have what you have in some of these other jurisdictions is because they're putting woke ideology ahead of your safety. We fight the woke when they go after our law enforcement. We do not surrender to the woke mob. Our state is where woke goes to die. You know it. We know it. Against wokeness is really a war against freedom. And you know what? Some conservatives and libertarians know it too. I'm number one in personal freedoms, right? I'm sorry, Ron, you're number two. I'm a f- principled free market conservative, right? Mm-hmm. I, for others out there that think that the government should be penalizing your business because they disagree with you politically, that isn't very conservative. Sansa is always talking about 
uh, you know, he was not not demanding that businesses do things, but he was, you know, telling the cruise lines what they had to do. DeSantis is raising his profile every single week. He is putting himself in a better position to potentially win the presidency. And he is doing it through indiscriminate use of state power. What's been a problem for Florida is now a problem for America. It isn't just about the cruise ship companies or Disney or even your woke gas stove. DeSantis is determined to stamp out intellectual freedom, and it's causing other red states to scrutinize AP black studies. He's also threatening to withdraw state support for advanced placement courses altogether. The Miami Herald reports that top Florida officials are exploring alternatives to the college board, meeting with the founder of an exam called the Classic Learning Test. Supporters of the exam say it focuses on the, quote, great classical and Christian tradition and the, quote, centrality of the Western tradition. Pretty much on brand for DeSantis, who clearly wants to be president and who is on tour to signal to the nation how he would govern. And that is by replacing a multitude of ideas with the one idea he holds dear, the centrality of white Christian thought. And who, let's be clear, is using woke to mean any notion that brown, black, LGBTQ people and women are citizens rather than subjects. Who, whether they live in red states or blue states, would in his American dream be forced to shut up and do, think, read and say only what Ron DeSantis tells them to. Where do you start? The asinine projection of the last 30 seconds of her diatribe? And she's so snippy about it, isn't she? I mean, so... Don't you dare tell me what I can think, except unless you don't think like I think. So, somehow... Let's set the record straight here. I don't know anybody, period, no matter if they're liberal or conservative, who objects to teaching accurate American history, including the abhorrent slavery that is part of our history. I mean, that's where I learned it. Where do, where do you learn it? Where do you learn it? But what these scholars wanted to do that DeSantis stopped was include critical race theory. The queer experience, black feminism, and a whole bunch of promotion of BLM. What the hell's that got to do with the period of time when slavery existed in this country? And when do we then teach history going from that point to today? Well, no, that doesn't that doesn't fit the narrative. You have to only teach that. Slaves were in chains, and now they're in the same chains because nothing has changed. You have to maintain victimhood. You can't have any of the progress of the civil rights movement. You can't have any of the progress of races living together for decades at this point. No, you got to drive home the point that racism is alive and well because it damn sure helps the Democrats. Except she went to Harvard, and we looked it up, makes $1.5 million a year with a nationwide program on a major network. How does that work out if we're still awash in institutional racism? Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back on middays. There's a little inside baseball as to why Rhino bumped us into this segment with the Doobie Brothers. He's going to announce uh, a giveaway of some tickets for the Doobie Brothers concert at the Brandon Amphitheater coming up 8-26-23 August of this year. And while... Right after he announces that, the ticket giveaway, and lets you folks uh, text us in, we're going to launch a little video. This was from Sheila Sherfalis McCormick, representative from Florida, was on the Al Sharpton show on MSNBC, and we'll get her take on Governor Ron DeSantis's education policies give them tickets away rhino yeah before we get to the audio we got to talk about one of the best-selling groups of all time the doobie brothers because they're going to be live at the brandon amphitheater in brandon on saturday august 26th the tickets are going to go on sale this friday at ticketmaster.com or you can swing by the brandon amphitheater box office but now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see the doobie brothers before you can even buy tickets all you got to do is be the 14th person to text into the C Spire text line, that number is 601-879-4395. Again, the number to the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Be the 14th person to text in the phrase, Black Water. And you'll win a pair of tickets to see the Doobie Brothers at the Brandon Amphitheater on Saturday, August 26th. Now, for the uh, audio from Representative Sherfluis McCormick on the Al Sharpton Show. Public universities are overseen by the Board of Governors, 14 of its 17 members appointed by the governor. What's your reaction to this week's escalation? Well, it's infuriating because this is a continuation of his attack on minorities and people of different backgrounds and gender. Um, what we're seeing him doing with this bill at this point is really removing the funding and putting all of the power into the GOP appointed um, people to ensure that they are now screening any information that our children and our college students need to know. And at the end of the day, we see that at the heart of his attack is really removing all the diversity, equality, and inclusion programs that actually help us step towards being a more perfect union. He attacked the educational system, African-American AP studies, so people wouldn't understand why we even develop these programs. It really is rooted in our history of inequalities. These inequalities still persist today. We're still seeing inequality in, in equal numbers of participation in certain job fields. We're still seeing minority students who are going to state colleges and actually being accepted, not equal to our counterparts, and we're still feeling the effects even when it comes to pay. And we have have to address our past and that's what he's trying to attack because once we can erode those standards and that information it allows him to pass and more people to live in their bigoted extremist extremisms like he has been doing oh geez do we have a winner we do just waiting to confirm all right so once again so much duplicity in that and i say again as long as society people like the representative here, Sherfalis McCormick, 
continues to attribute every disparity, every imbalance in society, such as who's working what jobs and who gets into school, their pay, their promotion, as long as we continue to attribute that to this ruse of, well, it's because of bigotry. We're never going to really help those people who need it the most. Because that's just not true. Not true. In fact, what is true is that a minority in this country has a way better chance, way better, of achieving outcomes because so many entities and factions of society, both in the public and private sector, in fact, do give preferential treatment. Starting with the federal government, colleges, universities, private sector companies, down the list, contracting, procurement, in our own city of Jackson, if you're a minority and you sell something the city needs, it's virtually a license to get rich because you're going to win, even if your price is higher than competitive offers from non-minority vendors. They give you preferential treatment. It's essentially legalized discrimination. I know you've heard of this, Rhino. Admissions to medical school. Promotions. We've shared numerous accounts of private sector entities. We got some sound here that I think really does address this issue so succinctly and it's to who I think would make a fantastic president, Vivek Ramaswamy. Listen here. It's important. So we're in the middle of this national identity crisis where people cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American today. I'm all for putting America first. I'm an America first conservative. But to put America first, we need to rediscover what America is. Okay, and that's what I'm on a mission to do, to revive the basic ideals that set this nation into motion, from free speech to meritocracy to the unapologetic pursuit of excellence to democratic self-governance over aristocracy. That's what it means to be American. And if we revive those basic ideals, then we can actually take on the external challenges we face, such as the Communist Party of China. Says it all right there, does it not? This guy's brilliant. He's just common sense, America first conservative. That's how he describes himself. I'm with him. I agree. I just thought that that captured the the sentiments perfectly. We don't even have an identity. And the left not only is happy to, but they thrive on especially racial group identity and inherited victimhood. They thrive on it. They rely on it. Never do you hear anyone on the left talk about being part of a united America, one that is grounded, as Mr. Ramaswamy said, 
any ideals that set this whole thing in motion. Never. Just like this lady we just played, Representative Sherfulis McCormick, such hate coming out of her voice. Governor Ron DeSantis doesn't object teaching accurate history. He objects to including all these ideological messages and content. Black gender queer theory and all that stupid crap that has nothing to do with our history. Now, on the ceasefire text line, James in Hattiesburg wanted to know if we had a demographics breakdown of the 60% of babies, actually it's childbirths in the state that are funded by Medicaid. I, I do. I did um, research that over the weekend, James. In Mississippi, between 2018 and 2020, I couldn't find any later info. I doubt it's changed a whole lot since then. Here are the numbers. 4.6 were Hispanic. 50% were white. 43% black. 7% were American Indian, Alaska Native. And 1.3 were Asian Pacific Islander. So there is um, an outsized amount of black births funded by Medicaid relative to white as it pertains to their composition of the overall population. And additionally, if you look at those who were covered by Medicaid in some form, one of the coverage groups... Um, this would be at the, for the time of birth. For the time of birth, pardon me, just that coverage group. We'll talk, we'll talk about that. Uh, this is shocking to me. American Indian, Alaska, Alaska Native women, 65%. Blacks, 64%. Hispanics, 58 Whites, 298 and Asian Pacific Islanders, 25.4. So once again, you can see the numbers do not align with the overall composition of the population. But I know this, as long as 60% of the births in this state are born to Medicaid, we got a lot of work to do from an economic perspective. And 40% in the country, we got a lot of work to do. Because so many of them statistically are destined to be unproductive adults. That's what's sad. Doesn't mean they're trapped and locked and can't be just mathematically. That's what the numbers say. Coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
back in the LMOL studios. So, uh, Paul and Meridian ask, I actually prefer the, the numbers, the number of people enrolled in Medicaid, my coverage group, as opposed to the, the percentages. Well, what I can tell you, Paul, off the top of my head, we're hovering uh, just under 800,000 total in Mississippi covered by Medicaid. And uh, nationwide, it's a stunning 90 million. Those numbers have exploded since the bill that we were talking about, the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, was signed into law by President Trump as part of the public health emergency and COVID relief efforts. Those numbers have increased dramatically in every state because you can't disenroll anybody. So before COVID, Medicaid enrollment sat around 74 million nationwide. Now it's up to 90, 91 and change. The the um, division of, uh, I should say, the CMS at the federal level estimates that when the PHE, the public health emergency, ends, and states, be, which is coming up in a, in a month, a couple of months, and states begin checking eligibility and removing those enrolled who are no longer eligible, it is estimated that about 19 million in this country are going to lose coverage. And in Mississippi, it's probably going to be a hundred to 110,000. Now, nationwide, I, I can report... Paul, that about 40% of those enrolled in Medicaid are children, children in the Children's Health Insurance Program. Um, And they, of course, consume the least amount of expenses. The indigent elderly group, coverage group, as you can imagine, consumes the majority of Medicaid expenses of the federal match, of course, and the state money combined. I'm not exactly sure how many are covered in the uh, pregnant woman coverage group, and then the postpartum 60-day coverage group looks like that there's a fairly strong possibility, as we talked about at the top of the show, that postpartum Medicaid coverage might be extended to a full 12 months based on certainly what the governor indicated just yesterday, a bill to do so already having passed the Senate, now being considered in the House. Wait till all the illegals hit the Medicaid rolls, says Mike in Gulfport. Nothing new there. Mike, and honestly, they don't go enroll in Medicaid. They just show up at the ER, in which case the hospitals are compelled to cover them, at least under EMTALA, as we've talked about many times, get them stable, even if they can't and do not pay. And that is a problem that Joe Biden never talks about. There's no question, however, though, Mike, that some states or are more lenient than others 
with respect to checking citizenship in order to be eligible for federal benefits, no doubt. I do believe Mississippi is fairly strict on that from my conversations with people involved in that. And by the way, there are Medicaid offices throughout the state. So folks that sign up generally can get to a Medicaid office and talk face-to-face with an employee of the Division of Medicaid to discuss eligibility and to determine that before enrolling them. That's the way it's supposed to work. Why are the seniors and elderly in Medicaid instead of Medicare? They're on both. So the way it works is uh, a person who is enrolled in Medicare, which is essentially everybody, honestly, in the country over the age of 65 is eligible. Based on their income, they could qualify in addition for Medicaid. So they get coverage from Medicare. It's somewhat limited. Medicaid uh, also comes into play to cover like their out-of-pocket cost under Medicare and some of the other benefits that Medicare could not cover. And every state uh, has their discretion over the federal poverty level where they would qualify in the various coverage groups as I recall, and I'll check it before tomorrow, for the elderly, it's 150% of the federal poverty level, which ain't a whole lot of money, about $19,000 a year for an individual. Out of here today, back in the studio tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.